Great to see everybody. I want to welcome you to Seacoast Church this weekend. My name is Josh Surratt. I serve as the lead pastor here. If I haven't met you, I hope I get a chance to do that, but we're glad you're here today. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us online, or maybe you are joining at one of our 13 locations, and we are glad you're here. At Mount Pleasant, can we welcome all of our campuses and all of our people watching online today? We all came together, and we've, we've talked about this, but we all came together this week and hosted about 4,000 pastors here at Seacoast for our ARC conference, which was so much fun, and uh, thank you guys so much. So many of you served, cared for our people. I, I came in on Friday morning after the conference, and I walked into this room, I was all by myself, and just looking at the crosses, and they were full of what you guys do every single weekend. They were full of what stuff that pastors were leaving behind as they went back into their churches, uh, leaving behind the, the fear or the stress or the anxiety, the financial concerns, and going back home full of faith of what God was doing. And we appreciate you guys doing this. One of my favorite moments was with one of our Dream Team members. We were out talking, uh, I think it was on Wednesday morning of the conference, and she was like, you know, I don't know what I was expecting. I, I think I was expecting a bunch of older white men in polo shirts and khaki pants, but, but this is crazy. They're like young and vibrant, and you know, you had guys wearing these flood tide pants that Josh Walters wears sometimes, and um, you know, mohawks and all those. It was like, man, they came from all over the place, and you guys loved on them. You guys cared for them, and so thank you. One more time, can we just give a hand to our dream team who just helped us care for those pastors? And we're just riding that momentum all the way into this weekend. Uh, I thought, man, if we've got the art conference, we're bringing all of these friends in. I want to bring a friend in to be able to share with you that was here this week at the art conference. And I get to introduce you to my friend Jeremy Foster. And, and Jeremy's done a, a women's conference here. He's done a first Wednesday, so many of you may be familiar with him. But in 2015, he planted a church in Houston called Hope City Church. How many of you would go to a church called Hope City. Come on, I, I need some hope. I mean, that's, I just love it, it's great. Like, uh, just speaks to what they offer people in Houston. And I met him about a year later, and uh, I didn't know anything about him or his church, but I just knew that he was a hilarious friend, uh, a, a leader among men, and then come to find out that he was a year into the church, and they were reaching like 3,000 people, and they would grow to become what I believe is the fastest growing church in the history of our country. Uh, grew to like 12, 13,000 people in just a couple of years, and just serving that city well. But, but when, how many of you know that a, a crisis doesn't, doesn't create a, a leader, it reveals a leader? And when Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, you saw Hope City become the epicenter of healing, of hope in that city. They, they, you know, they didn't just come with chainsaws. They were literally grabbing airboats and driving to homes and rescuing people who were stuck in their homes. And, and we were able to partner with them. But God's just using him in a huge way all across of our country it's an honor to have him here. Would you guys help me welcome Pastor Jeremy Foster as he comes and brings the word to us. Come on, let's give that to Jesus right now. Come on, give it to the only one who's worthy. An ovation that a king is worthy of. Man, what an honor to be with you guys. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you look good. 
Uh, some of you guys don't even know if they do or not. You're like, ah, nah, not really, not you. Turn to your second choice and tell them they look good too. <laughs> It's going to be an encouraging day today here at Seacoast. What an honor it is to be with your pastors. The first thing I want to tell you is thank you um, to our church, all of our campuses, um, to all of our dream team. Can we give it up for our dream team? We did a great job serving this week. All of these pastors, I am one of the pastors that you served this week, and that is the heart of this church, and the heart of a church comes from the heart of its leaders, and the Surratt family has just been such a blessing to me. I love you um, so much, Pastor Greg, Pastor Josh, you guys are just, and the whole Surratt family, they're like a gang. There's just so many of them. It's the Surratt boys. Um, but such a blessing to me, and I will tell you, when Hurricane Harvey hit, one of the very first phone calls that I got um, was from your pastor, and he wasn't just offering prayer, he did pray, but he offered funds and sent tens of thousands of dollars to us to not only just help rescue people, but to help recover and rebuild their lives, and I know that comes from you, so thank you so much, I appreciate it. One more time, give yourselves a great big hand, thank you guys. <clears throat> And this weekend, we're going to have a good time. Um, let me ask a question first to make sure that I'm, I'm where I need to be and preaching what I need to preach. How many of you guys have ever had a bad day? Just a bad day. Just raise your hand if you have it. Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah, you lived through 2020, okay? Uh, that wasn't just a bad day. That was a series of bad days, uh, like 365 of them. It was just a tough, it was a tough year. You ever had a moment where you're like, this is going to be a great day, and then you realize quickly, it's not. It's just going to be hard. Um, in Houston, we deal with this thing called traffic. I don't know if you guys have that around here, but it's a spiritual gift in our city. And um, we, I was on my way somewhere. I was on my way to, the, I think, my office. I was doing, you know, some ministry, and I'm in my truck. And, and we have HOV lanes in Houston. We have the largest um, highway system in the world. It's 26 lanes wide. It's called the Katy Freeway. It's just crazy. And they have an HOV lane, which is a high-occupancy vehicle lane, which means you have to have more than one person in the vehicle to be in that lane. And I did not. But the Bible says, when about the Lord's business, make haste. And so I felt like I had a mandate from God that I should be in that lane. However, the state trooper who pulled me over did not feel the same way. And um, he sauntered up to my truck. I don't know why they all walk like that. If you're a state trooper, they teach you how to do this. He sauntered up to my truck. And in Texas, they wear cowboy hats. And uh, he made me open my door because I drive a big truck. It's got a seven-inch lift on it. It's weird. And he's like, open your door there, partner. So I opened my door. And he's like, you know why I pulled you over? And I did know. I'm being honest with you. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed, James 4 and 8. So I, I did know, but I lied, okay? When he said, you know what, I'm sorry, Pastor I said, no, man, why? You know, and uh, he said, because you're in the HOV lane and you're by yourself in your truck. And I just looked at him and said, hey, I'm a pastor. I ain't by myself, bro. Jesus is in here with me. That brother gave me a $250 ticket. He, did, he didn't believe like I believe. We still pray for him. But I, but I realized in that moment, you, you know, it is true. You can feel all alone, but you are never by yourself. When you serve a holy God, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you. The challenge is, he didn't say you wouldn't have a bad day. He never said that life would be easy. And the guy that we're going to read about today didn't just have a bad day. He had a hard life. His name is Jacob. He comes from a long line of powerful men, Abraham, Isaac, and then you got Jacob. Literally, his name means heel grabber, supplanter, kind of like cheater or deceiver. You got to know, thanks, mom, for that. He exploited his brother's birthright at a young age. 
He has an unhealthy relationship with his father. His father obviously favors his brother Esau. His mother favors him. He's got an unhealthy relationship with his mom because she's more of a friend than she is a mom. She's kind of living her life through him. She encourages him to trick his father out of the blessing, and now he's on the run from everything, and he runs for years and years and years. He finally stops in Genesis 28.10, and Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran, and when he reached a certain place, he stopped. Everybody say he stopped. He stopped for the night because the sun had set. He literally couldn't go on. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. I don't know if you've ever been in that hard of a place. I've been in some hard places, but I've never used a rock for a pillow. And maybe this is a metaphor for us. Maybe you're in a really, really hard place. What do you do when you're in a really hard place? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to be honest when you're in a hard place. Now, we know that, right? If you're in a tough spot, you, you need to actually be honest, I'm in a tough spot. But it's really hard for us, especially those of you who believe in Jesus. I don't take for granted that everybody in here believes in Jesus. But <laughs> those of us who, who do believe in Jesus, it is really hard for us not to lie. And I know we're not supposed to lie, but when somebody says, how you doing? What do you say? Fine. Fine. How's the kids? Fine. Fine. Where are you going to eat? Fine. It's all Fine. It's social media syndrome. We paint the best picture of ourselves and then we put it out there. It's so funny to me. People will take a picture of themselves and then, you know, hashtag no filter. And you know that thing is filtered to oblivion. You ever met somebody that you only saw them on social media and they look nothing like their profile picture? That profile picture is a lie. It's up and at an angle, you know, so we don't see your double chins. We know how to do this stuff. We don't tell the truth, you know, because we want to present the best version of ourselves, but if you, if you really want to receive healing and help in your life, you, you actually have to be honest. The Bible says you, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But what if you don't embrace the truth and you lie to yourself or you don't actually express what you're really dealing with? Then I would surmise and tell you, you probably can't be healed if you're not actually honest about what you're dealing with. How important is this in scripture? Jesus is leaving Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem the book of Matthew, and some blind beggars stop him. And the Bible says he stopped. I love that one prayer can stop God in his tracks. Now, you have to understand, I, my interpretation of Scripture might be different than yours because the Lord made me kind of ridiculous, okay? So I suffer from ADHD. If you guys don't know what that is, it's attention deficit hyperactive. Hey, look at the butterflies. That's literally how my whole life goes. And so when I read the scripture, I see it in my head. And Jesus stops, Matthew chapter 20, verse 32. And he called to them and he asked them quite possibly the dumbest question in the world. Now, I'm sorry, God, I'll explain that. They'll understand in a minute. <laughs> he looks at the blind beggars and says, what do you want me to do for you? And you gotta know the disciples in that moment. If I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, Jesus, come on. Hey, bro, he just hit him with, what do you want me to do? You're like, are you gonna tell him? No, nah, I'm not telling him, you tell him. I told him the five loaves and the two fish thing, that didn't work out, so you tell him. <laughs> he walks over to, hey, G hey, Jesus, hey, 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 bro, come here. hey. Hey, Jesus. I know you just asked him, what do you want me to do? But, um, do you, did you look at him? Like, that dude's got a stick. That one dude's got a dog. He ain't walking that dog. Jesus, that dog is walking him, Jesus. They are blind. Did you, do you know, 
you believe that Jesus knew what they needed? Let me, let me say this. When the answer asks you a question, it's less about him and more about you. He didn't need to ask the question, but they needed to actually answer in honesty, and they did. They said, oh Lord, that we might see, and then healing came. I wonder if we've gotten so good at covering up our issues that if Jesus incarnate walked down the aisles of this church, if we wouldn't just want an Instagram selfie with him and act like everything's fine. Kids, come on, come on, it's Jesus. Get get right, it's Jesus. Jesus, yo, come over here, yes, get right here. And we didn't actually look at him and say, Jesus, we're messed up. We look like we got it together, but we don't. We're married, but sleeping in separate bedrooms and nobody even knows. We're going through so much pain, but I just don't feel like I can be honest with anybody about it because I've built up this this idea of what people think of me that somehow if I actually open up and I'm clear with what I'm dealing with, that somehow it'll hurt my relationship or my, my my reputation with them. At some point, you have to stop. Everybody say, stop. This is what Jacob did. Now, I want you to watch this. Jacob gave God quite possibly the greatest gift that he could have given him. He stopped. He just stopped. He didn't continue. He stopped, and you know what else he did? He rested. And some of us need to stop making excuses and stop trying to power through. Some of us are just, we're just holding on. We're persevering without actually progressing because we've never actually brought it to God. He stops. And when he stops, God goes, oh, I've been waiting on you to just rest, to take a Sabbath, to just take a break and let me speak to you. And God speaks to him. Genesis 28, 13, he says, I am the Lord Jacob has a vision and he sees God on a throne. He sees God at the top of a staircase. And the Lord says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. This might not mean much to you, but this means a lot to Jacob because he feels like he has let the entire family name down. He comes from Abraham. Your grandfather's Abraham? Yeah, man, he's Abraham. We call him the father of the faith. Jesus is going to reference him later on. Your dad is Isaac? Yeah, my dad's Isaac. What happened to you? And God reinforces a promise in his life. He says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. What is God saying? I'm not finished with you, your brokenness, your mistakes, the sin in your life, all of the problems and the challenges hasn't disqualified you from the call that I placed on your life. And some of us have walked in here somehow feeling like you have the ability to destroy what God wants to do in you. That's a personal problem, not a God problem. God can deal with anything. Verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. This place, God was here, and I didn't know it. I remember a few years ago, I was on my way to preach a conference, and I went to the airport, and I'm in the long TSA line, and they had heightened security, and there was the people in the blue shirts and the black pants, and they're patting everybody down, giving them a little TSA massage, and this lady, she's really intense. She looks back at the crowd, and she says, sir, come here. I was like, oh, somebody in trouble. And then she says, you, in the black shirt, and your boy had a black shirt on I looked down at myself. She said, yes, you, come here. I was, and my, y'all, my voice broke like I was a 14-year-old boy. I was like, what? <laughs> like, like, I wanted to confess things. People started backing away from me. I was like, I, like what do y'all think I have? I, I ain't got nothing, which a guilty person would say. 
And I walk up to her, I'm scared, I'm timid, I'm just kind of like, ah, and, and when I get about a foot from her, she goes, Pastor, I recognize you in the back, I want to get you through the line. I said, ah, daughter of the Lord, you are blessed and highly favored, girl. Now here's what I want you to understand. I still had to go through everything that everybody else had to go through, but it was a relationship that I had that fast-forwarded me and helped me get through it quicker. And God is calling to some of us, but some of us just want to stay in line and be anonymous. What if God's calling you to go through it quicker? When God gives you a knowledge of his relationship that he has with you, it gives you access but you have to exercise what you have access to. Verse 17, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. That is the weirdest verse of scripture. This is a man who just slept on a rock for a pillow and now he's waking up going, how awesome is this place? Hey bro, Motel 6 is better than that place. The hardest place in his life Clue in here, the hardest place in his life became the most awesome place in his life. Now, how does that work? I want you to watch what he does. He does three things. We'll draw them out in the scripture. Early the next morning, verse 18, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, that thing that you're laying on, that hard thing in your life, and he set it up as a pillar. He said, I'm not going to die here. I'm going to build here. I'm not going to let this be a stumbling block. I'm going to let this be a stepping stone. Then he poured oil on top of it, which in the scripture signifies I'm giving it to God. I'm praying about this. Some of us are holding on so tightly to pain and undealt with things in our lives and, and trauma and hurt and, and frustration and aggravation when God's going, if you'll give that to me, I can actually begin the healing process in your life. Pour oil on it. Oil signifies separating it for the Lord. Some of y'all are just having that revelation. You're going to go home and pour oh, Crisco on your kids like I'm separating all of y'all for the Lord. <laughs> Throw some on your husband too. You too. Don't you run out of this house. I'll pour a whole bucket on you. <laughs> Separate it for the Lord. Pour oil. Pray about it. And then he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Now that is weird. Because Luz means separated, it means departed, it's a bad place. He left one place and, and went to another and never changed locations. He went to sleep in Luz and woke up in Bethel. By the way, Bethel means the house of God. What does that mean? You can be in the hardest place in your life and God can show up and when you recognize his presence in your pain, it changes the pain to purpose. It changes the pain to promise and God will not waste pain. He will use it to change your life. You don't have to be delivered out of your situation. Listen, you don't have to be delivered out of your situation. You can be delivered through it. The challenge is many of us don't deal with pain. We just pray about it. I'm grateful that we're a part of a church that doesn't just pray about it. We pray about it, and then we give you next steps. We tell you where you can go, a number that you can text, people that you can talk to, groups that you can get in. The challenge is oftentimes we prepare for physical pain. Nobody buys a single Band-Aid, right? You don't get mad at the drugstore when they try to sell you a box of Band-Aids. You're like, mm, mm I just need one. Can I pay like 13 cents? How about that? Can I just do that? Can I put that on my card? How about that? I mean, I'll, I'll pay a dollar for it. I just don't want the whole box. No, you don't do that. Nobody ever does that. Why? Because you know you're going to at some point need the box. Because we understand physical pain. But what about emotional pain? See, we don't often talk about what Jacob had really walked through. What Jacob had really walked through was a father wound, a mother wound, and trauma all throughout his life. 
He knew he wasn't his father's favorite. Esau was his, father, was, his, was, his, was his father's favorite. That was his brother. His mother lived vicariously through him, seedily working behind the scenes to push him into what she wanted him to have. He felt empowered by her to cheat his father, and then he separated from the entire family. His brother tries to kill him for a large part of his life. So messed up is his identity that when God changes his name to Israel, in a fight with an angel, powerful moment in scripture, it still takes Jacob 30 years to call himself what God had called him. He came from trauma and he didn't understand it. And many of us deal with trauma. You've heard of red flags, it's a social media trend right now. That's a red flag, that's a red flag. But what, what about when red flags feel like home? I'm gonna get cerebral for you for just a minute. And I wanna talk about the relationship norms in your life. Your relationship norms are established by your family of origin. And if it wasn't healthy, maybe your family of origin dealt with emotional neglect, abuse, uncertainty, unpredictability, insecure attachment. All of that can attract you to toxic relationships, not just marital relationships, but toxic friendships and challenges and people that you hold on to. Now, many of us understand what a father wound is. A father wound is some unmet expectation that you had that your dad would be there for you, or maybe you never met your dad, you have a father wound, or maybe your dad was present, he just wasn't there. He was, he was in the room, but he just, he didn't pour into you. You never got what you really needed from dad, or maybe he was abusive, or he neglected you, or abandoned you, then you need to understand you have a father wound. No, I'm fine. No, you have a father wound. Remember, the truth will set you free. When I recognize that's what I'm dealing with, then I can actually heal from it. But many people, we don't know how to deal with it. That's why Jesus was so clear. The truth, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. You have to walk in truth. Not just the truth of the word of God, but the truth of your situation. I have a friend who had a father wound. His dad was there, but he wasn't present. His dad passed away before they ever built a real relationship. And this guy's a high impact powerhouse leader. But what he deals with is an addiction to affirmation because he never felt fully affirmed by his father, so he seeks it from all the wrong places. And it actually caused him to stunt the growth of his own organization, and here's why. Because he started leading by consensus. He wanted everybody to approve of his decisions. There are many of us that do the same thing. We know about a father wound. What we don't know about is a mother wound. And I wanna talk about it for a minute. A mother wound is trauma that your mom dealt with that she never got healed from and she passed it on to her kids. If you had a mom that was emotionally unsupportive, highly critical, or had low self-esteem, you, you pick some of that up. How your mom felt about herself, how she dealt with relationships, even what she believed becomes ingrained in you, and you maybe, maybe don't even know it. Maybe your mom, now listen, this, this is gonna be a little challenging for some of us to walk through, but I want you to think about this. Maybe your mom looked to you and your brother or sister to meet her emotional needs, to solve her problems, or maybe she attempted to live her life through you. Maybe mom kept you home from school because she was having a bad day. Maybe you became your mom's best friend whenever you were young, and instead of being a mother, she wanted to be a friend to you. She wanted to hang out. Maybe she talked about your dad to you, and you became a counselor between mom and dad. That's a mother wound. And what happens in your life is that causes you to be a fixer, a rescuer, or an enabler. And you may not even realize that you're that. Here is 
Eight traits of a mother wound. Number one, it'll give you the inability to set boundaries. Some of you, as we read through this, you'll realize I do have a mother wound because this is what I do. An inability to set boundaries. You just have a hard time setting boundaries on people. They, they constantly violate your boundaries and you just let them. Number two, insecurity with body and physical appearance. Here's the crazy thing. How many parents we got in the room? Raise your hand if you're a parent. All campuses, raise your hand if you're a parent. Okay, listen, this is super important. You can change it now. How you speak to your kids is very important, okay? But I want you to understand this. You can be the most positive parent in the world. You can tell them every day, you're amazing. I love you. I believe in you. You can do anything. You can be anything. You're beautiful. You're handsome. I'm proud of you. You are so smart. But they don't hear that. Do you know what they hear? They hear what you say about yourself. And that's the identity they take on. You can tell them they're amazing, but if you constantly say, I'm a mess up, I just don't feel like I have any friends, I'm fat, nobody likes me, I just can't get it together, I'm never organized, nobody will ever be happy with me, your outside voice becomes their inside voice. This is important. Number three, it creates codependency in relationships. Number four, it creates an inability to regulate your own emotions or self-soothe in healthy ways. If you had a mom who couldn't regulate her emotions, high highs, low lows, constantly frustrated, you never knew what you were gonna get with mom, she couldn't calm herself down, therefore you can't calm yourself down through life. And you'll say things like, no, no, I'm just having a moody day. No, no, you're just unhealed somewhere in your life. And so you don't know how to soothe. Number five, fear of abandonment. Many, many mothers had a fear of abandonment. So if dad comes home at 5.30 when he was supposed to come home at five, it's not just he's late from work. It's in that 30 minutes she can build in her head. He's run off with somebody. He's out doing something that he shouldn't be doing and passes that on to you. And so you constantly fear abandonment in your life. Number six, chronic self-judgment, self-criticism and comparison, looking at other people constantly. Number seven, fear of displeasing your mother or looking to her before you make any decisions. Y'all, I know people who talk to their mother before they talk to their spouse about big decisions. Just look straight ahead right now, don't. <laughs> Number eight, it creates a lack of self-trust. I don't trust myself, so I'm constantly seeking approval for my decisions from other people. Why is this important? Here's why it's important. Because it can push you into bad relationships and toxic relationships because that's what feels like home. It can actually create relationships that we call trauma bonds. So many people have a marriage that is healthy and they have a healthy bonded marriage where they feel confident with one another. They're able to live in their truth, walk out their truth with one another, accept each other, love each other, encourage each other, inspire each other, and bring out the best in one another. Others have a trauma bond. And this isn't just in marriage relationships. You can be attracted to a trauma bond in a friendship. You can even have a trauma bond with a parent. Here are the seven stages of trauma bonding. Number one, the love bombing phase. By the way, here's the essence of a trauma bond. A trauma bond is you broke me, but you're the only one who can fix me. It starts with a love bomb. Now here's what's weird about a love bomb. A love bomb feels awesome. It's somebody who tells you, you're the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. I love you so much. I've never loved like this ever in my life. You are it for me. It's a love bomb. Here's what's weird. If you come from a healthy relationship, a healthy parental relationship, that actually feels normal. If you come from an unhealthy relationship, that's what you've always looked for. Unhealthy relationships and healthy relationships usually start the same way with a love bomb. And then it goes to trust and dependency. 
So they do everything that they can to cause you to trust them and depend upon them. I just need you to trust me. I need you to depend on me. And then number three, it's the criticism stage. Slowly they start to criticize you. They begin to criticize decisions that you make and they become more demanding. They blame you for things. Number four is manipulation or gaslighting. That comes, the, the term gaslighting comes from a 1930s play where a husband would turn down the gas lights in the house until they flickered. And when his wife said, are the lights flickering? He'd say, no, are you crazy? And he finally had her committed to a mental institution. That's gaslighting. It's manipulation. They change the story on you so many times that you get confused and they try to push their narrative consistently and constantly on you and you begin to doubt your own perception. Number five is the giving up of control stage. You no longer know what to believe and your only way of experiencing the good feelings of stage one is by giving in and doing things their way. Then it leads to the losing yourself stage. When you fight back, things only get worse. You'll settle for anything to have some peace and make the fight stop and you begin to lose confidence. Now listen, this is gonna hit some of you pretty hard because you're realizing that's what you have right now. Now there's two types of people in these relationships. One is the person who it's being propagated on. The other is the person who's propagating it. Many times it's a narcissist that's doing this. And the narcissist, listen to me, some of them know that they're a narcissist and many of them don't know that they're a narcissist. Do you know how a narcissist is created? A narcissist is created by parents who never let their child have real feelings. They constantly tell their child, stop crying. You're not hurt. That doesn't hurt you. You're not in love. You don't know what love is. And so they, as they age, they begin to cling so tightly to their own feelings and their own emotions that they're not able to see anybody else. That's why it's important when your child cries, instead of saying, stop crying, say, tell me why you're crying. Use empathy. I ask my, I do two things when my kids ask questions or when they're crying or when they're going through something. And I use this for my four-year-old all the way up to my 24-year-old. Number one, I use empathy. I'll say, that must feel terrible. I have two daughters who are in college and they're in different colleges but in the same city and they're rooming together. And trust me, chaos. It's like Russia and the, and the United States of America in 1985. I mean, it's the Cold War, baby. And they'll both call me. And so I say, that must feel terrible. How did it feel when your sister did that? Oh, I'm so sorry, babe. What do you think you should do? Why? I'm creating strong leaders. I'm not just trying to tell them how to feel. Because this is real. You begin to lose yourself. You lose confidence. And then number seven is the dangerous one. And that is you get addicted to the cycle. You've had a, a lifetime filled with cortisol. Everything in your life is so stressful. You go home, you never know what you're gonna expect. And it's just stress, stress, stress. And you just need a morsel. Just give me a morsel of love. If you'll just fulfill my needs. Just, and then they do every now and then. They give you a little bit of dopamine drip. They tell you, hey, look, I'm sorry. I'm never gonna do that again. I, I know, please don't leave. I know that I shouldn't have done that. And you believe in them so much, you give another chance. And now you're addicted to a cycle of cortisol and dopamine. This is why people in these kind of relationships are power. They, they can be amazing and then get addicted to drugs or do something wild that you never dreamed that they would do because they're just trying to cope with a trauma bond. And many of us have been through trauma and we haven't actually dealt with it and we haven't been honest about it. At some point you need to be honest. Now listen, this is so important. I, I taught this last week at a women's conference. There were 3,500 women in the room. The Lord spoke to me to teach this. I haven't even taught this a lot. This is the third place that I've talked about this. And there were an hour and a half 
of a line of women afterwards that I talked to and prayed with. And this 70-year-old lady came up to me and she said, oh, baby, thank you. You changed my life today. And she hugged me. She looked like a church mother, looked like somebody who prayed day and night. She was powerful. And she said, you saved my life. I said, well, tell me what that means. She said, I turned 70 last week and I decided this was the year I was going to kill myself. And I said, why? She started crying. She said, I didn't know. I've been through so much pain and I've brought so much pain on my family. I didn't know until today that I had a mother wound. And now I know what to go study. I know what to go talk to a therapist about. And I know what to apologize to my kids about. And maybe it'll bring them some peace and freedom. This stuff is important. I can tell you this. Trauma is a fact of life, but it doesn't have to be a way of life. It doesn't have to be a life sentence. You can be delivered. You can take a next step and God can heal you. Jacob had trauma bonds, but God changed his identity and we still know him in the scripture and the Jewish people still pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God loves you. He'll change your name. He'll change your identity, but you have to be honest about what you're going through. What I love about this talk is it doesn't just touch young people. It touches everybody in the room. You just have to at some point be real about what you've dealt with. There's something healing about opening up and walking through it. We did a series in our church a few years ago and I asked for testimonies and people began to send in their testimonies. And I got a letter from a lady. It's an email, it's about a two minute read. And she said this, my mother was a single mom Life wasn't easy growing up, but we loved one another dearly. She worked like a dog with only an eighth grade education to support four little girls and never got any child support. I knew she loved me, but there were always habits and addictions lurking in her life that continually knocked her off course. At the age of 11, my world fell apart. My mother divorced her third husband, and I was heartbroken and devastated because he was the only man that I'd ever called daddy. My biological father had abandoned us when I was little, and now another daddy was leaving. Our lives spun out of control as my mother fell deeper into addiction. We moved from Texas to Oklahoma and it was a life-altering move. We were closer to my grandmother and she began taking me to church. I'd never felt anything like this. I remember walking down that long aisle and kneeling down at the front. I gave my heart to Jesus. It was a profound moment of realization in my life that there really was a love that wouldn't leave and that's the moment that God truly became my father. I didn't realize how much I would need that protecting and loving hand of my new father. I lived through verbal, mental, physical, and emotional abuse constantly. Somehow my conversion to Christ had caused my mother to feel guilty. It was hard for her to take that I had found real love and the abuse got worse. My mother married again and in that marriage we became a blended family and I acquired two stepbrothers. The marriage didn't last long but during that time I was able to lead my two stepbrothers to Christ. Mother got hooked on prescription drugs and became even more abusive. I know what it is for my own mother to pull out a loaded 45 and hold it against my temple and scream, I'm going to blow your brains out. I was in the eighth grade. I ran next door and I shook as the neighbors called the police. A judge committed my mother to a state hospital for six months. My three sisters and I lived with our grandmother and that was some of the greatest moments of my childhood because she took us to church. When mom got out of the institution, we went home with her, but she was angry and bitter and slipped right back into the drug habits. There were different men coming into the house, in and out of the house every week. She quickly divorced husbands five and six and continued the lifestyle of drugs and abuse. She would grab me by the hair of the head and knock me into the door. 
sling me into coffee tables, screaming and cursing. I struggled not to believe the things she would say about me. Spankings were beatings. She could backhand you quicker than you could blink. But through it all, I knew that God had a purpose for my life. I was so desperate for God that I'd ride to church with anybody who would take me. One particular man and his family would come and pick me up. I remember riding in the back of a pickup truck for 60 miles round trip just to get into the presence of God. Mama got worse. I remember her storming into church one morning and screaming for us to get up and get out of there. And I finally threw up my hands and I told her, that's it, I'm quitting church. And she stopped and her eyes cleared up and in a soft voice she said, please don't quit going to church. I'm miserable and I don't want you to turn out like me. After I graduated from high school, my mother married husbands seven, eight, and nine but my life has taken a different path. And when I walked into Hope City Church, I felt that same presence of God that I felt as an 11-year-old girl desperate for love and acceptance. Thank you for providing a place where people can find healing, hope, and happiness. My story has a happy ending. A year and a half before my mama died with tears in her eyes, she gave her heart to Jesus. And I thank God every day for churches like this who reach hurting people. It's because of a church like this that an 11-year-old girl gave her heart to Christ and I have never looked back. Keep doing what you're doing. It's saving lives. The reason that letter hit me so hard is because the moment my team gave it to me, I knew who it was. <laughs> my mama wrote that. That was her story. My grandmother was brutal. And I often wondered why God didn't deliver my mom out of that pain. But I can tell you, he never left her in the midst of it. He didn't deliver her out of it. He delivered her through it. And my mother stands as a testimony. She's a praying woman. She's been married to my daddy for 51 years. So don't tell me that trauma can stop you. Trauma won't stop you. If you're honest about it and you allow God to heal you, he can use your pain. And because of that, God has used me. In the last six years at Hope City, we've seen more than 45,000 people give their lives to Jesus. We've put 23,000 of them through our discipleship program. God can use your pain to turn it into promise if you give it to him. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for each and every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you. But today, God, this is a hard message for me to preach, but I thank you that you help people today. I pray that the truth would set them free and that as they open their hearts and their minds and their lives and their pain to you, God, that you would remind them that they are never alone, that as they weep and as they grieve and as they go through pain, you weep for them and you are with them. We live in a fallen world. We're not in heaven. That's why bad things happen to good people, but you never leave us and you never waste pain. So help us to be honest today. If you're in here and you know you need Jesus in your life, I want you to pray something like this. You don't have to pray it out loud. You pray it under your, under your breath or you can pray it out loud. You don't have to say exactly what I say, but something like this. Jesus, I need you. I cannot live without you. I am broken. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again on the third day so that I can live free. So in this moment right now, I give you my sin. I give you my pain. I give you my past. And I receive your love and your grace and your mercy. And right now, I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus an ovation of worship all over this place. God, we do.
You know, uh, you know, you've got a good friend and a good leader when uh, last night, Dad and I were having dinner with Jeremy, and he had a different message for this morning, uh, but we began to talk about the trauma and the pain that all of us have gone through. I think maybe the first time, at least in my lifetime, probably in all of our lifetimes, we've all dealt with the same exact trauma in terms of COVID and all that it's done. And I'm so grateful for Pastor Jeremy kind of opening up some of that for us today and helping us kind of dig into it. And here's what I wanna do. If you're a Seacoaster, you know we're gonna respond to God together. What is God saying to you? And what are you gonna do about it? And I'm hoping and praying that for many of us, the first step that we'll take is to just get honest. Just get honest with God. You know, you know what you're dealing with. You know what you're going through. And sometimes just being honest. There was, again, there was something about the blind men being willing to say, would you help me see? I need help. And so we're gonna go to the cross. And the cross is just a moment for you to get honest between you and God. What do you need from God? Maybe you wanna name your trauma. I know that in a room of this size, there are many, many, many of us who are dealing with trauma that may go back to our childhoods, our moms or our dads. And again, there's a lot there and there's a lot in this pathway to healing, but it starts with honesty. God, I need your help. I need your help. And so I want to invite you to just go to the crosses as we respond together. But remember with Jacob, he didn't just stop there. He, he poured that oil on that pillar, that rock, that hard place, which is symbolic of us just coming to God with prayer. And we have prayer teams that are here. And it may sound a little weird to you, but they've been praying all morning that you would just take that step to come up for prayer. That maybe God would, would use them to speak a word of hope or of encouragement over your situation. And so there's no embarrassment or shame in coming up for prayer. That's actually a step towards your healing. It's saying, God, I need your help. I need you. I want, I want, I want to pour oil on this place of pain that you might turn it into an altar and a place of purpose. And so some of you may come to prayer teams. It'll be here at the front of the stage. They'll be in the back uh, alcoves on all of our levels here in the worship center. But we'd love to just pray with you. And then there are others of you that are gonna come and, and receive communion. And remember that is, why do we do that? Why do we do communion every, every single weekend? Because Jesus said, as often as you come together, I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to remember that that place of pain is now maybe a place of hope for you because of what Jesus did on the cross. Living a sinless life that we couldn't live on our own. Dying on a cross, taking all of our sin, all of our shame, and then raising from the dead. We wanna remember that every single week. Some of you may have prayed that with Pastor Jeremy for the first time. Come receive communion. Remember what he did. And because of that, the place called Luz separated Set, 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 set apart could be called Bethel, a place of God's presence, a house of God. He's gonna enter right in the midst of your pain and he's gonna see you through it and he's gonna bring purpose out of it. Some of us will go to the candles and, and we're gonna be an intercessor. Don't underestimate the power of prayer in our lives. You know somebody who's going through something, some sort of trauma and you're just gonna go to the candles. God, would you light up their life? Would you meet them? God, would you help them where they are? Some of us are gonna give our tithes and offerings. We're gonna sing, we're gonna celebrate, and we're gonna meet with God in these next few moments. So what is God saying to you today? Let's respond to him together as a church.